0: flavour on cambridge 105 radio with the swoop
1: cambridge's exciting new retail taproom experience local on green street to find out more visit them at the swoop.co.uk i'm going to
2: read you the menu it's fantastic
3: so we get better flavour
1: because of the fen soil
2: I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think.
1: I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got
2: this big sticky
1: mess when you start off.
2: Pizza hot pies.
1: My wife's cakes are selling hot cakes. Brilliant, thank
2: you. The time is right for this sort of thing.
3: Food is everything. Cambridge is
2: right for this sort
1: of thing. What's it like? Can dishes. <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Flavour, an hour of food and drink news for Cambridge and South Cambridgeshire. I'm Matt Bentman, and here's Alan Alder and Sue Bailey with a roundup of what's on the programme today.
0: Well, we've a nice summary feel to today's programme. Rosie Sykes has ideas for peach and blackcurrant jams, and Laura Donahue talks about apricots.
4: And I visit an interesting and unusual bar in Regent Street that specialises in cocktails, and also a pub restaurant
1: in Great Wilburham. We've also got lots of local food and drink news and a job section at the end of the program, but we begin with some concerning news. Now, here on Flavor, we champion our local independence. This is where you can get the best quality in restaurants and cafes and in the meats, the fish, the cheese, the fruit and veg you use to buy at home. So when we hear of a local grower who may have to give up producing food, we are concerned, especially when that grower chooses what varieties to grow based on their flavour, not their yield or resilience to mass transports. The local grower
0: is Clive Hayden of Larksfield Nursery, and that's on the edge of Longstanton near North Stowe, and North Stowe is a rapidly growing new town. According to the Cambridge News, for part of the first phase of its development, the developers working on the land near Clive Hayden Smallholding needed to de-water the site by lowering the water levels in gravel aquifers so that they could start construction. Cambridge News reported that an independent report commissioned by a South Cambridgeshire District Council found the dewatering, also known as abstraction, was the cause of local village ponds running dry after groundwater levels dropped to 16 feet below ground level. The drop in groundwater levels has had a massive impact on Clive's business, which relies on a natural well to fill a reservoir from which flowers and vegetables are watered. I asked Clive about the family business and how he's having to adapt it to the drier conditions.
3: (coughs) Clive, how long has your family been on the farm? My father starting off with bare land here, must be sixty five to 70 years ago, had the bungalow built, and then slowly started off with the um, old greenhouse, the ones on the rails, and then slowly over the years, we just um, put more and more greenhouses up, the aluminium ones, and um, expanded the business over the years.
0: Yeah, so you've worked on it all your life then?
3: Yes, yeah, as soon as I left school, I t- t- thought about other careers, but my parents were doing it with a bit of help, and I came and saw a future in the job, which is what there was in those days, and... Um, help um, build it up. was enthusiastic about it as well.
0: Yeah, and you used to sell crops to Cambridge Market?
3: Yes, we used to buy several of the stallholders in Cambridge Market with a selection of vegetables. Um, that kept us busy those days because there was a massive demand for fresh um, fruit and vegetables um, before the supermarkets came along, really. What sort of things do you grow? Now, we grow um, cut flowers for local florists, and um, for mainly for common garden, and then um, going into more and more into the soft fruit and um, vegetables expanding more and more soft fruit. We keep planting more this year for um, hopefully more sales in the future.
0: But soft fruit requires water and there's an issue with the water.
3: Uh, well, yes, that's the trouble. The Strawberries in the greenhouse, unfortunately, we can keep them just going a little bit but that's why we've had a cut back on the late second crop of flowers we grow so those, the greenhouse where they have an early crop where we had the water, we don't plant them up to now and try and maintain the water to keep the soft fruit going. So it's um, a balancing act really um, whereas we should have had a second crop. Um, Taking us through, that's um, just pointless. So I've just got to save a w- little bit of water for So your income's being hit? Yes, a fair bit. And yeah. um, we've just had to adapt and find other things. We we tried growing a lot of, um, a selection of outdoor flowers that's supposed to be drought tolerant that don't need irrigation. What doesn't help is the land here. We've only got a better foot of topsoil. Then we're on pure gravel, which was an old riverbed. <laughs> uh, is it too loud? <laughs> I, uh, I'm not sure it might be, but... Go uh, can f- stand on the shed up there if it might help. Yeah, OK, let's... <laughs> in the shade as well. Down the shed, you might have swallows. They um, come back here and they're nest in there. Right, do you have bats? Yes. We've got bats, um, owls, we've got deer, badgers, and we've got a lot of hares. Um, because every- Oh, yeah, box. I've got a kestrel box as well. Because they're building everything around us now, everything seems to be coming to us. <laughs> so um, no, we've got barn owls in the box down there flying around at night, it's brilliant watching them or hearing them. So we, no it's brilliant, I mean I hope to get bat boxes up as well soon, but we, as I say we haven't got the number of bats we used to for some reason, I don't know where it's just the loss of silver birches or anything else, because it's a um, line of trees, what they feed off I don't know, but it was used to be brilliant, you could walk down in the evening, you must, we must have been disturbing, apis or something. Oh, and the bats were just loving it. Yeah, they're brilliant. No, if we can put something out to encourage them just to come here. If we had deer out we've got a fox out there and badgers, was all at the same time. Yeah, it's My right, right. dad always used to say, you never see any hares around here. But it was last spring out there, I mean, I could see, I saw a dozen I think the fox had a few of them. Yeah. There's not so many. But you, but you can go around the housing estate behind us, and all of a sudden you see one of the hares running around the housing I mean, look, they, they come out the shed here, aren't they? just everywhere. Um, no, Maybe you should shoot them and sell them. Uh, they're not <laughs> that much of a nuisance. No, I'm not. If they don't bother me, then that's fine. Yeah. Going back to
0: the the water problem and the fact that you're not able to produce as much as you used to, uh, do, do your customers know what's happening and, and and what's their reaction?
3: I think it's a hard thing for them to grasp. They you know, don't really appreciate the significance of the water in the ground, really. Um, nor the impact of what's going to happen in the
0: future. South Cambridgeshire District Council has granted approval to an outline application by the developers for a new phase in the building of Stow, which will bring a further 4000 homes. The developers say that this phase, Phase 3a, is not anticipated to change groundwater levels in the area. The impact will not be significant. However, The High Court has granted permission for a judicial review on the basis that the impact on Cambridge's chalk streams, local ponds and wildlife hasn't been taken into account. Whatever the truth of the matter, Clive explained
3: what his concerns would be should groundwater levels drop further. I mean my well's only eight foot deep and that was that was deep enough to do take all the water we wanted but you start lowering the groundwater that much um, there'll be nothing flowing away, you know, you know. It could affect trees as well because have the water staying away from the established roots.
0: And you've you've got some dying trees now. I have on
3: my boundary, air yes, slots mm-hmm. And
0: and that's recent. That's since the building. Oh yes,
3: I mean they are they, well established as well. There's an awful lot of, of some of the trees like silver birch are shallow rooted, so they've suffered. But even native ones down there we've we've lost as well. Yeah. Um, and more dying. You can see that's visible. They've, they've only got half the vegetation on them they should have. So
0: if You are badly affected by further building developments, then
3: what will you do then? I don't really know. Um, Growing wise, that'll be probably the end of it for me. Um, I certainly couldn't afford to run have mains water, it just wouldn't be viable. Mm. So I don't know. I I really don't know what would happen then. Um, So it's um, always been an area of low rainfall, so there's no way of me collecting enough rainfall during the winter months or anything storming at all. So it's um, it doesn't look very good for the long-term future now. Mm.
0: But there there is a judicial review, isn't there? Yes. And there is crowdfunding to help to pay for yes. uh, legal
3: experts on yeah. that. Yes, we're um, crowdfunding at the moment, so hopefully if we can raise enough funds, go to judicial review regarding the environmental impact on th- phase 3A. And then, you know, if it's assessed properly, with all the reports that have been done on the past, an effect on long standards ponds and other wells and if they could be taken into consideration hopefully then we might still have the water to enjoy the features and the landscape around here and the food well <laughs> and my food <laughs> if i can do so okay thanks very much Clive. okay
0: Assessing the effect of the abstraction of water by developers and anybody else for that matter is a complex business. And there are arguments going on over whether or not the cracks in some buildings in Longstanton have been caused by the development of North Stowe. Uh, And the Environment Agency is looking into reports of illegal water abstraction at the development in uh, North Stowe. If you're interested in following this story, a useful source of information is on Twitter at Fuse Lane feWS Fuse Lane, especially their tweet of the 30th of June. And if you want to contribute to the to the crowdfund go to the website Crowdjustice and search for Long Stanton. 20,000 pounds is needed and by Thursday of this week the total pledge was just over 17,000. The deadline is Friday the 29th of July. Now details of free food available in and around Cambridge. The information about what's available and where to get it comes from the Oleo app, which exists so that people's or businesses surplus food
1: doesn't go to waste. That's right, and looking at the Oleo app today shows us that Varsha on Hills Road near the Botanic Garden has a tin of condensed milk to give away, as well as a little set of assorted chocolates and sweets. Emily in Stapleford has a jar of low-calorie hot chocolate going spare. Caroline, also in Stapleford, has a two-pint carton of lacto-free skimmed milk. The reason being, she said she's just over-ordered and she knows she won't drink it. And heading back over to Arbury, we've got Nick, who's offering a jar of smooth peanut butter, a tin of corned beef, a tin of fruit cocktail, a bag of Kettles crisps, chocolate coins, a large bar of Galaxy cookie crumble, and a big box of Jacob's crackers. Now, there were plenty of other things, particularly... Bread, baguettes, muffins, crumpets. Some things on Olio get claimed very quickly. Now I would say that you'd need to be quick but The way Olio works, you don't have to because Olio can alert you whenever somebody nearby posts something up for collection. And that's a really handy feature. Oh, and this just in. Madeline near Kettle's Yard has posted uh, about a couple of hours ago to say keep an eye on Olio tonight. that Saturday night because she will be collecting lots of unsold hot and chilled food from Tesco to be distributed from her house from 9.30 this evening. Mm,
0: That sounds rather good. Yeah, yeah. And another free app called Too Good To Go has unsold food from restaurants and shops often at less than half price. Uh, Rather than specifying each leftover item, the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag ready for you to take home instead of it being binned at the end of the day's trading.
4: On to our first news roundup now, starting with wine news. Today, Saturday, it's the Gutter and Stars Open Day until 5pm. You can have a look around the Cambridge windmill where it's based and have a glass of wine. They'll be selling it by the glass and by the bottle. There will also be the chance to taste the Rip It Up Orange Backers 2021, which won't be released until September. Gutter and Stars is at the far end of French's Road
1: in Cambridge. Chong from Amphora in Devonshire Road has been placed at number 22 in Harper's Wines list of the top 25 sommeliers, so good going there. And for us tasting, on the 20th of July, is of Portuguese wines. And on Thursday, it's a chess and wine evening. They'll have the boards out from 8 till 10pm, so there's no need to book. That is a really great idea. And it also reminds me that there are chess games and chess tutoring also going on at the Edge Cafe on Saturday mornings at 10am. I hope this continues in popularity. I've been interested in Bobby Fisher lately and his rivalry with Boris Spassky. And I used to play chess at school. I've forgotten everything, but it's really nice to have... uh, The opportunity to have chess with wine or chess with coffee and cake. It is.
0: (laughs) If you're on the lookout for a new bottle of wine, Jancis Robinson, Master of Wine, rated a South African Cape Corral Rosé 2019 in the top 10% of more than 100 rosés. And you can find it at Noel Young Wines at High Green in Great Shelford. And on the subject of South Africa, Shanti will be popping up with South African food at the Senate Bistro in St. Mary's Passage on the 26th of July at 6pm. Food fans coming to
4: Thirsty in Chesterton Road this coming week are Vonnie's Balkan Express on the 19th, Buffalo Joe's on the 20th, Rotisserole on the 21st, El
1: Chile on the 22nd and Vonnie is back on the 23rd. MJP at the Shepherds is running a three-course lunch with a glass of wine for £25. It's available Thursday to Saturdays from 12 noon to 1.30, right up until the 14th of August. That's when Mark and the team go off on holiday.
0: From Monday the 18th of July, all areas of Market House in Market Square will be open. The terrace, kiosk and restaurant opened earlier this month. Uh, The wine bar opened yesterday and the meeting room, food lab and private bookings are available from Monday. Uh, The terrace will be serving drinks as well as fish platters, charcuterie, artisan cheese and nibbles.
4: And Market House has very much kept to its aim of sourcing from local suppliers. Coffee is from Ely's Brew Project, wines from Cambridge Wine Merchants, cheese from the Cambridge Cheese Company and they're also using Stir, Cambridge Juice Company, Saffron Walden Ice Cream Company and lots of others.
1: Some of these products can also be bought in the ground floor shop. Sweet Pea Market Garden from Caxton has a stall every Wednesday on Cambridge Market and also on Saturdays at the St Ives Farmers Market. They sell high quality organically grown produce such as tomatoes, cucumber, beetroots, pea shoots, fresh garlic, and plenty more. And they were at the Impington Farmer's Market this morning.
0: Uh, The next Rubbish Cooks charity event at Parker's Tavern in Regent Street is on the 25th of July, and that's at 6pm. Bookings are being taken now, and the cost is £30 per head.
4: Heath Fruit Farm has apricots and cherries from its orchard on sale now at its kiosk in Blundisham. And today, Saturday at Ely Croft Food and Vintage Market. You can follow Heath Fruit Farm on Instagram to get updates of what they're selling and where they're selling it. And don't miss Laura Donahue's piece later on on apricots.
1: In the program a lovely summer listen mm. Providence kitchen in Whittlesford has opened an impressive new space in a converted barn with three wood-burning sections which looks ideal for large gatherings like weddings
0: many congratulations to all at restaurant 22 in Chesterton Road that's been rated by the good food guide as exceptional
4: and the Orator has a summer menu available from 12 till 6pm from Monday to Friday. Two courses are twenty one fifty, three three courses 25.50. And we'll have more news later in the programme. OK, moving on to our next feature now. And we go back to Sue. I'm speaking to Tony Kuzarides, who is the owner of The Lab cocktail bar in Cambridge on Regent Street. It's fairly new. And you hopefully will have noticed it either cycling or driving past because it's got quite a large frontage, but it's got a very interesting story as to how it came into being. And Tony, please tell me about this.
5: Well, um, the Lab cocktail bar was really something that I managed to do with my friend, Jason Millard. So I've always wanted a cocktail bar. Well, actually, I've always wanted a bar because you do. And Jason knew this, and he said, Tony, there is a place on Regent Street, which is a bar already, but it is available to buy. And uh, that was 90 Cocktail Bar. It was partly owned by Peter, who is the third partner. So the three of us together got together, and I've set up this place called The Lab.
4: And it's called The Lab Because you all have a science
5: background or interest in science. Yes, we all have an interest in science and there are several reasons why it's called a lab. The first one is that we know as scientists that the best innovation happens uh, when people go to conferences, but actually it's at the bar of the conferences. So we know that from our experience. So you need to put together people in a relaxed atmosphere. That's partly one of the reasons that we have the lab. The second reason is that Cambridge University is one of the best places to do research in the world, and there is no science bar. So this is a good reason to have a science bar so that scientists and in both industry and academia can get together and talk about science. However, the important thing to know about the lab is that it's not about nerds. It's about being comfortable being in an environment and interact. And therefore, it's not just for scientists, it's for everybody. It's a lovely atmosphere to be comfortable and have a chat and entertain.
4: Does that mean then that your drinks have a scientific theme to them or not?
5: Absolutely. That's that's part of our little trick of uh, having a twist of science. And the cocktail names are things like Gin Therapy, Hawking's Big Bang, Inspiration, and we even have a Nobel Prize. Do you? Yes, we do have a cocktail called the Nobel Prize. So anybody can buy a Nobel Prize. I like that. (laughs) So we're not just about scientists. Anybody Mm. can buy a Nobel Prize. Presumably it's not just cocktails that you do that. Well, we now, since we started in November, uh, reopened. We have a bit of tapas food, sort of small amounts of food, the finger food from various nationalities that we offer, of course.
4: And you mentioned that you reopened in November because basically you started pre-COVID, but then COVID meant that you could renovate to your own design and style. That's right, so uh, we reopened
5: in November, so we haven't been going for very long. And the style that we have is the same as the original that we had, which is 1920s style. So the principle is a 1920s vibe with a twist of science so the the science is not at the very front but it's part of it but the idea is you have the jazzy atmosphere of the 1920s so sort of speakeasy style really that's right absolutely
4: do you also do music and other things there as well
5: Yes, we have, um, maybe not every week, but regularly we have musicians playing there. We also have the possibility of having events. We can rent out the whole place to do events or you can have talks from scientists. Scientists have talks or conferences, they can have them there. Any event in a social situation can be, you can have it at the lab.
4: And I gather even hem parties you've been having there as well.
5: Oh many hand parties, yes. It's a it's a lovely place that you know, women feel very comfortable and easy there because of the decoration and the and the feeling of the place.
4: You don't have any outside space there, do you? So it's a sort of a dark bar in that sense. Well,
5: we do have a half of the frontage can be opened. So we, we essentially it's open to the front, to the outside. So there is a freshness coming in. It's not entirely outside, but you know,
4: the windows can be completely opened. Oh, that's lovely. There are a few other cocktail bars in Cambridge. You're probably one of the most central ones, aren't you? Yes, there are very few
5: cocktail bars, and yes, we are the most central. The truth is, it's not difficult to be a great place in Cambridge. (laughs) It is limited in its availability of good bars.
4: In terms of the type of people coming into the bar, is it tourist or local or students or a mix of all of those? It's a mix, but I think it's mostly locals of
5: very, you know, different age ranges, really completely, you know, from very young people to middle-aged and older people who'd like, because it's a comfortable place to be. I mean, that's, that's the key. And most people like cocktails, and I certainly do. <laughs> who doesn't like <laughs> exactly. some gin therapy? <laughs> oh,
4: indeed, indeed. And then probably last question, you're open obviously in the evenings during the week. But at the weekends, you're open all day, is that yeah, right? Yes, so
5: on Saturday, for example, we, we're open most of the day. We just started a botanist brunch on Saturday afternoons. So, yeah, so on Saturdays, you can have an extended
4: um, entertainment at the lab. I like the sound of that. I think you'll be seeing me there. Thank you very Tony. much. Thank
0: you so much. You're rather predictable, Sue. Yeah. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm
4: always get up for a decent cocktail.
0: <laughs> anyway, that was Sue talking to Tony Cusarides of the Lab in Regent Street, which sounds like a really interesting place. Actually, that wasn't the only interesting place I've been to recently. I also
4: visited a sister pub of Grantchester's Rupert Brooke. It's the Carpenters Arms in Great Wilburham. I'm speaking to George Talbot, who is the general manager of the Carpenters Arms in Great Willowbrum, just a little way outside of Cambridge, but not too far. And goodness me, it's had a transformation recently, George. Tell me more about it.
6: It's had a massive transformation. So what was, I would describe a street front old country pub has now turned or transformed into a really smart restaurant at the back you've still got the old really important part of the pub at the front so you can come in you can have just a drink in a really nice comfortable bar but then on the back you've got a really nice open kitchen open restaurant massive glass windows so hopefully sight lines across the whole thing. So really, yeah, amazing space. Great fun for us to work in.
4: And I'm sitting here at the moment talking to you in the bar part of the pub in Great Wilbraham. Well, pub restaurant, really. And it's very vibrant. Goodness me, the colours. Wow, it's it's stunning, isn't it?
6: it's certainly bright so yeah you've got the pink room which uh, probably describes itself when people see it it is it's really quite bright equally you've got a very multi-colored feature wall towards the back of the restaurant which yeah everyone that everyone that comes in once you get here you see it and it's yeah it's very much a wow moment just on arrival you have just
4: fairly recently opened here at the carpenter's arms how long ago and how's it been going
6: so this is now week 14 that we're just going into And it's been absolutely tremendous, really warmly received by the locals, which has been so key. And again, that's where the pub element's been really great for us, great fun. Equally, people just come out of Cambridge. It's so easy to get through from your A14 or the A11. It's three or four minutes either way. So it's been really warmly received. Food's been absolutely tremendous. So, yeah, we've had a cracking first 14 weeks and, yeah, looking forward to where where things go now.
4: Yes, I mean, in one sense, I'd say it is a destination place to come to. You're not
6: far away from places like Fulbourne, so actually your transport link's and a short walk and there's loads of local walks around here as well, so total variety but yeah we've been very lucky to have a lot of people who do come out and see the restaurant as a destination i think for me it's the, it's the best of both worlds you've got your locals who enjoy the pub and you've got your destination restaurant on the back of it it's the perfect blend of the two
4: tell me a little bit more about the food offering that you have and about your saturday brunch which i gather is new
6: yes so saturday brunches we have um, just started so which will be um on saturdays before hopefully people go to the races So that's just been something slightly different to what we do across the group, hopefully slightly different offering to what's widely available, but a nice opportunity for people to come in and have cocktails. So it's a set price menu. We've got a cocktail at the top, choice cocktails or a mocktail. Then you've got a few nibbly bits and things to start. Then you've also got your main brunch items, so your classics, your Eggs Benedict, your Eggs Florentine. Really exciting menu, so well worth looking at online. And then we'll give you a little uh, a little couple of treats to take to the races or wherever else you're going next as well. So hopefully it's a nice, complete menu. No, that sounds lovely. And what about the sort of lunch and evening offering? So lunch and dinner, we have we've tried to stay fairly classic with a lot of items but what i'd say is there's some really really quality dishes coming out of that kitchen so we've been really lucky to have a nice little lamb ratatouille dish on we've had a smashing pork dish which has been one of our probably top sellers but then equally if you want your kind of your pub classics we've got your fish and chips we have actually now got a bar menu which we offer in the bar also in the pink room which i referred to earlier so yeah you've got a complete variety of everything at the moment we've recently brought on a really nice cod and polenta dish with some nice dried tomatoes. So it's, yeah, a really broad little offering. Hopefully got something for everyone.
4: Sounds lovely. And given the fact that let's say the whole of the hospitality industry has been going through interesting times recently with with staff and you know the emphasis on local suppliers and all the rest of it what are your comments on that area
6: so we've we try to stay local with as much as we can and we were very lucky when we first opened we hit prime asparagus season so cambridge asparagus just 10 15 minutes down the road were brilliant and that changed that dish halfway through the season just so we had a little bit of variety but the asparagus, in many ways, spoke for itself. It was tremendous. We tried to stick down that route. So, again, as we go into the brunches, we've got local brands such as Edmunds or Pickle House, which have also been great to pair up with, so two Suffolk brands there. And we try to stay as local as possible. And I think chestnut is it, has its roots and very much are the East Anglian roots of what we do throughout the whole group. We're very lucky to have some amazing suppliers across, across East Anglia and across the region. So, yeah, we try and stick as local as possible.
4: And staffing-wise...
6: Is that being okay? Staffing wise, always tricky. We can certainly can't uh, can't hide about that. But equally, I think again, that's why we're very lucky to have a nice brand and a nice base. So you get you get a lot out of it. Inevitably, you'll have your slight problems. But I think actually, it's it's very easy to say kind of it's hospitality. But I think it's it's broader than that. I think staffing is a, a very wide issue, and we yeah, we'll try and train people up. What we I think both what we enjoy. We've just got totally an apprentice starting in September in the kitchen, which would be fantastic and equally front of house we've had a lot of um, young local people who have got involved and actually it's a chance for us to show people the industry and hopefully get people excited in what we can do
4: yes i think that's perfect because hospitality is a great industry and we need it and i think a place like this just shows how fun hospitality can be
6: yeah definitely i think anyone that comes and works here at the moment is really lucky it's great to be involved in something so fresh there's so many ideas still flying around and actually we welcome the ideas from anyone so you might walk in with a brand new set of eyes having never been in the industry and spot something that I haven't because having been in the industry I've kind of moved away from looking at that and actually the excitement that we get from that and getting ideas from absolutely anyone is is tremendous so yeah i can only only encourage people to look at it and consider it as an option
4: yeah and last question in that case what's your background to coming here
6: so my background very long story short eight years ago i was leaving university and worked in a pub just 10 minutes down the road simply to learn mm-hmm. how to pull a pint and uh, try and get a little living i bizarrely ended up being hold- holding manager there between two different managements which was yeah, a steep learning curve. Then I went off to London to go and work for Corbin and King and ended up at the Woolsley, which was just phenomenal, amazing place to be. And then I had a chance meeting with Philip Turner, so our CEO in a coffee shop in Newmarket, when beginning to look at coming out of London and hoping to come back to hospitality somewhere out here. And yeah, I think sometimes fate's going to happen, so chance meeting little introduction and six months later i was joining the group so yeah
4: fantastic that's a lovely story i really like that so we're lucky to have you here by the sound of things so basically carpenters arms is it open for food every day
6: yeah so we're open seven days a week so our general opening hours are 11 till 11 we are offering food for lunch we're doing from 12 until 2 30 and then on brunches on the saturdays we're doing from 10 until 2 so, yeah, we're offering, but even at 4 o'clock, we'll happily have, that's where we'll use the bar menu. So if people want to come in at 4 o'clock and have something to eat, if you want to have, come in and have a pie and sausage and mash or a pint and some fish and chips or something like that, you're very welcome, and it's, it's really nice to be able to offer something all day. Likewise, for dinner, we start serving the full menu again at 6 o'clock back in the main restaurant, so there's hopefully always something available to someone.
4: I like the sound of that because a lot of places are not open Monday to Wednesday, so I'm glad that you are. So that's the Comptors Arms at Great Wilberham.
6: Thank you very much.
1: Sounds good. OK, we're going for a quick break now. We will be back in two minutes with apricots and jams, more news and job vacancies. Cambridge 105 Radio.
7: Wednesday evenings on Cambridge 105
2: Radio is when we champion the Cambridge music scene.
0: Tom Lumley of the band, Tom
6: Lumley and the Brave Liaison there'd always be 12 people from other bands going down to each other's gigs. And it wasn't just be part of Hollow Stars Classic Rock or Searching Ray's Indie. These people then started going to watch all of our gigs, singing the words to each other's songs and making a good atmosphere. You could see it in the fact that it went from struggling to sell enough tickets for the Corner House to selling out J2.
2: New Music Generator with Tim Willett, Wednesday at 7 on Cambridge 105 Radio. Listen
7: live on Radio Player. suffering from buffering find yourself screaming not streaming or do you just lag behind Then it's time to demand better broadband.
4: City Fibre is building a brand new full fibre network across the UK, giving you access to broadband from a range of providers that's more reliable and up to 20 times faster than average. So you can stream, game and video call without interruption. Get connected to full fibre today. Choose your provider at cityfibre.com slash Cambridge 105.
0: CKLG accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Lawrence, director of CKLG, responsible for business services. We understand that running a successful business brings many challenges. Our experienced business services team provide a bespoke service and offer professional advice at every stage of your business journey, allowing you the freedom to focus more on what you do best. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website cklg.co.uk cklg accountants your partner in business your partner in life
4: cambridge 105 radio Welcome back to Flavor, where we've been enjoying the summer produce. I've had some wonderful homegrown strawberries and raspberries, and I know that Alan has had from the market some marvellous flat peaches and apricots. All these help to make some of the special time it is. Laura Donoghue of the blog Crumbs on the Table recorded this piece for us some time ago about her experiences of apricots. It makes a lovely, relaxed summer listen, especially if you're lying out in the open watching the clouds drift by
7: in search of the honest apricot. I'll go back to the beginning. I remember sitting on the back steps under a punitive August sun basting a rock, pretending it was a roast. I was three. We were visiting my mother's family in rural Texas after a long drive through heat mirage and tumbleweed. It was a permanently hot, thirsty place. Drinking water had to be pumped by hand into a bucket and I was afraid of the ladle with its spot of rust. I don't know for sure if I could see the apricot tree from those blistering steps, but that's how I remember it, as the only green thing in view whose fruits enchanted me. I was astonished that the things familiar as something I loved to eat were joined to this other thing I knew as a tree. It was an epiphany, the connection between the one and the other. How could this be? It must be magic. Decades later, apricots capture a primal joy for me that comes from that first wonder at the generosity of things that grow. It's the most ravishing fruit when it's honest and the most disappointing when it's not. And it makes me actually angry to see those hard pale rocks in our shops, knowing what they could have been. I've been chasing the ideal apricot all my life but it's proved the most elusive of fruits. It's one of the worst casualties of what I think of as the great fruit con, where so much looks like it should, but tastes of so little. Commercial varieties of fruit are typically bred to grow fast and prolific, and picked far from ripe so they can stand up to mechanized processing, transport, and storage. The industrialization of our food supply has changed the flavor of much of what we eat, from tomatoes to strawberries to apricots. A few years back, I happened to be in the right place at the right time to remind myself of what a real apricot tastes like in season, where it's grown. My sister and I had a rendezvous in Montpellier, France, in the southeastern corner of the country, where it's hot enough for palm trees, which tells you something about what apricots need. The season began during our stay, and we glutted ourselves from the markets that had varieties on display from different parts of the country. Some were smaller and redder than others. These seemed the most intense, if not the juiciest. Some rounder and more moist. We had repeated taste tests and were undecided. They were all glorious, the textures just right, not mealy or mushy if you chose well, sweet but not too, and so fragrant with all that sun. More than once during these feasts, we'd recall a story our parents tell of a journey they'd taken in their younger days to Bryce Canyon in southwestern Utah. They'd driven all day through otherworldly landscapes, arriving hungry after dark at the one horse town where they were to spend the night outside the national park. Everything on the single street had shut tight except for the bakery, which was still sweeping up. They chanced it, hoping for something, anything, to find there was one last thing left on the baker's shelves, a single golden crusted apricot pie. They bought that whole pie and brought it back to their room where they ate it with plastic forks, sitting on the bed, drinking motel coffee and they raved and gave thanks and demolished that pie like it was the first and last pie created in heaven to set the example for all pies on earth. Close to the end of our stay in Montpellier, Kitty and I visited a farmer's market under the ancient aqueduct, and there we found a stall dedicated to apricots, mounds of them, sold by the people who grew them six miles outside Montpellier. These were voluptuous, larger fruits, very ripe, perfect at that moment. They were sold by the kilo in slatted wooden baskets by people with stained hands and worn t-shirts who seemed anxious to sell. This was their livelihood and it would be a bad day if they had to load those apricots back onto the truck to take home again. Despite our impending departure next day, I bought a greedy basket not realizing it weighed over two kilos until I'd negotiated payment with my halting French. I was struggling with my camera, two bijou barquettes of raspberries, and a bottle of rosé from a small winemaker to drink with our last night's dinner. So Kitty took custody of the apricots. We ended up walking for another few hours in the beating sun, having stumbled across a food festival in the park with white-headed chefs displaying their wares under white tents to gentlemen in summer suits and ladies in pretty frocks. By the time we'd been waylaid by that genteel spectacle and a glacé stand, I think even Kitty felt the weight of apricots as this side of burdensome. While she flew back to the States next day, I got my apricots home to England in my carry-on, wrapped individually in tissue, protected with a fortress fashioned from cardboard scraps. They made it better than hoped those in best shape were eaten no naturel. the ones that arrived a little sore for their travels were turned into jam according to plan the jam gods were with me it was a perfect batch it was of course sublime fruit so I could have done almost anything and it would have been beautiful but I'm sure it was also to do with the memories that kept me company as I made it The thought of those who had grown the apricots and picked them and hauled them to market. The gratitude to Kitty for toting them on her back all day. The mental picture I carry with me of that first childhood tree that started my love affair with apricots and all things that grow. And of course the anticipation of how good that jam would taste on a proper baguette with real butter. The little meal I think I'd choose over any other for my last on earth. Three precious jars came from this endeavor. They arrived courtesy of the post a few days later with Kitty in North Carolina and with family assembled in California, and everyone's appreciation was all I and the orchard could wish for. That encounter in Montpellier brought me so close to the apricot, but I never did find the trees. I left France yearning to see the fruits growing again and vowed someday to go back and look for them. So imagine my astonishment when, quite by accident, I discovered one more recent summer right here in rural Cambridgeshire, a small family fruit farm that grows apricots virtually in my own backyard. I'd gone to Willingham north of Cambridge City on a search for the Manning family farm where I'd been told I could find heritage variety plums. When I walked through the doors of the bushel box farm shop, the unmistakable perfume of ripe apricots stopped me in my tracks. There they were in full proud view. And yes, they were grown right there on the farm along with the plums. I couldn't believe my eyes. I bought six varieties of plum that day and almost every apricot they had on display, my conscience just stopping me from taking the lot so other people could have some too and spread the word. So I went back again and a third time and I made jam and tarts and my mom and dad's pie and we ate them fresh every day for the few weeks of their season. Being able to taste an apricot where it's grown when it's been allowed to ripen on the tree, is a rare thing anywhere and will spoil you for life. You'll forever know the difference and never again be content with pale imposters. Growers who give us this experience do an invaluable service in retaining and rehabilitating our appreciation of flavor and the collective taste memory we have as a culture that may, if we continue to value it, help us hang on to fruit that tastes like it should. They preserve old varieties despite the fact they don't produce bumper crops or are susceptible to frosts or disease because they value them for their flavor, for the heritage, and their genetic diversity. Three quarters of edible plants have been lost globally over the past century. We're overly reliant on too few varieties which have become increasingly inbred and therefore vulnerable. The sacrifice of taste may seem frivolous compared to the need to feed a growing population, but flavor doesn't have to be at odds with commercial realities. It's only been so because large-scale agriculture has focused on breeding varieties for yield and transport and storage. Some plant breeders are starting to look more at flavor these days, as well as crop resilience to changing climates at least for some of the major commercial crops. In some cases, going back to older varieties and even wild ancestors, this makes it possible to select traits from a much greater diversity of genetic material and develop varieties that could have both flavor and the qualities our modern food system needs. The Manning daughter, Wendy, tells me there will be no apricot harvest on the farm this year. The April frosts took the blossom. Apricots flower early, so they're always at risk. She hates to tell her customers this because she knows how much we look forward to them, but she's philosophical. There's always something to challenge the fruit grower, and this season, it's a combination of last summer's intense heat, putting the trees under pressure, a wet winter, and spring's repeated cold snaps. The apples and pears that are to follow in autumn will have their own challenges from this growing season too, here in Cambridgeshire and all around the country. Growers are always at the mercy of the elements and in the front line of unpredictable climate extremes, which makes special crops like apricots all the more so when we can get them. Even what we may think of as ordinary crops can't be taken for granted. It's been like this throughout human history as long as we've been cultivating what we eat. And yet, as we know, we're entering a new age of climate uncertainty and are told to expect more of these extremes. Maybe the fact apricots can be grown in Cambridgeshire at all is partly down to these changes. I've found my apricot trees at last, and I see them as part of our fragile environment, which is so dependent on us as we are on it. The magic of things that grow seems even more miraculous when we think of how rare it is that we get to experience eating something with this kind of honesty, this immediacy. If you visit Windy and Willingham this summer, you can find a selection of beautiful plums, though their harvest is patchy this year too. Some varieties producing as usual, some not so much. The varieties change every week as some peak and some go over and some come in. Get to know everyone you can. And next year, maybe, Hopefully, there will be apricots again.
1: How wonderful. And yes, this year there are apricots. That was Laura (laughs) Donoghue. Okay, time for some more news now. Cambridge Sustainable Food is currently short of volunteer drivers. They need people to collect surplus food to go to Cambridge's community food hubs. Now, if you think that you could help them out as a regular or occasional driver, Mm -hmm. then do get in contact with becca at cambridgesustainablefood.org to be one of their drivers. If you know someone who needs free hot meals
4: delivered three times a week, then Cambridge Community Kitchen can help them. Go to
1: cckitchen.uk and click Request Meals. The Organised Network is an organisation. It creates open petition letters for the public to sign. Now, they've always got several petitions on the go at any one time, and one of them is asking BP and most supermarkets to cut down on food waste. As one employee stated, every day myself and colleagues are instructed to throw away bin bags full of food which have reached their expiry or their best before date. And with the price of food increasing dramatically recently and more people depending on food banks, supermarkets really should be offering their food waste to staff at the end of each working day. Now, if you agree with this, please go and sign their petition at the.org. Organise.network and search for food waste. That's where you'll find it. They're about halfway through their 50,000 signatures required and once reached, that petition will be sent off to CEOs, MPs and company boards.
4: There's a request from Cambridge City Council... At the moment, during this week's hot weather, please could you help with watering a young tree that's been planted in a public place near you? Why not give a tree some safe dishwater, bathwater or any water, even from the washing up bowl? New trees in their first year will need watering in fact twice a week and especially during this current heatwave. And trees do their bit, of course, to help keep our streets cool as well as absorbing CO2. If you see a sapling in its green watering bag, you can fill it through the slot at the top.
1: Yeah, I think someone was made a comment like, really, can you use washing up water? Because when that just contaminates it with the, with the suds and everything...
4: Tree is happy.
1: Tree is happy. And the water is more important than the suds, which will do a, like a minimal amount of, exactly. of exactly. anything. Good idea. Mm. Transition Cambridge's summer picnic takes place tomorrow. That's Sunday, the 17th of July. Now, this will be a chance to meet up and catch up with other local Transition Cambridge people. You'll need to take uh, food and drink and perhaps a picnic blanket or a rug to sit on. The Transition Cambridge picnic will go ahead no matter what the weather is tomorrow as Empty Common Community Garden has a new hut and it will protect everybody from any potential rain. Potential rain in this weather? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, um, all are welcome and it's completely free you can donate towards the community garden as well if you like now full information is at the transition cambridge website once you're there just go and click on the empty common community garden i was there a few years ago the garden is based just off of Brooklands avenue off of hills road you just have to follow the path that runs next to the stream. You know what, Sue? I met Michael Portillo coming the other way with a film crew. He was really apologetic to me for <laughs> for him blocking the way. It was extraordinary, I should say. And when you get to the community garden, this garden is about five or six garden plots combined. Oh, it's beautiful. It is, isn't it? It's, it's all about permaculture. The design and everything is really well done. Uh, it's got plenty of different plant beds, pots, lines of veg, etc. Loads of people go there on a Sunday to relax and unwind with a bit of garden and to have a good old bit of banter. And there's the music signalling time for the latest from social media. Sue? Well, there's just a couple
4: today. Flourish is selling produce boxes on the 22nd and 23rd of July. Each box costs £18 and will contain 10 different varieties of seasonal produce grown in their fields. And Flourish is expecting to be able to include courgettes, cherry tomatoes, cucumbers, greens and salads. The deadline for ordering is midday on this Thursday. Boxes can be collected from the farm at Hildersham. And the BrewBoard Taproom in Harston is open today from 3 till 10pm. Good stuff. (laughs) And finally for today, another look at summer fruit. Local chef Rosie Sykes is here with some ideas for making jams from peaches and also from blackcurrants.
2: With peaches, I often would put a couple of the peach leaves in if I was making peach jam. Peach and raspberry is a lovely jam combination. The peach leaves, I think you probably know, they smell of almonds as well. So by using the leaves, you get a lovely sort of bit of almondy flavour in there. Peach and rose is lovely as well. I was lucky enough to get some mulberries last year, which make an absolute wonderful jam. Just very simply mulberries. I don't think you should put anything else with them really. Black currants make a lovely jam, but black currant leaves are really, really nice. They taste very lemony. But I've done black currant and mint is rather nice. Again, but with that, I did the big stem of mint while I was cooking it. Um, and then I actually finally chopped some fresh mint and stirred it in just before I put it in the jars. On the subject
0: of sugar, weight for weight for things like rhubarb, What about sweeter things like strawberries or raspberries or uh, apricots? You'd you'd use less sugar?
2: Yeah, I would, but I wouldn't go much below sort of 700 for a kilo just because otherwise you're never going to get a set. You're just going to struggle to get any kind of a set, even with a jam sugar, unless you boil it until... I, one of my favourite jam stories, one must always have a jam story, mustn't they, was that my sister, um, What my middle sister, was really into kind of health food and stuff. And we had a peach tree at the house that we all grew up in. And I remember every year we'd go out and see if there are any peaches and there really very rarely were, sadly. But one year there were about... 20 peaches or something like that. And she brought them in a bit early and she ripened on the windowsill and she really looked after them. And then she said, I'm going to make jam with them. And she found some sort of cranks, very sort of natural cooking recipe to follow that required practically no sugar. But instead what it required was sort of, I don't know about so many hours of boiling. And I can remember at the end, she produced half of a jar of this sort of brown, very tar-like substance. (laughs) It was the peach jam from all these peaches that we'd all kind of looked at and thought, oh, I'd love to eat one of those. But no, we weren't allowed near them because they were going to make (laughs) amazing jam, of which there was probably a teaspoon each um, of tar-like substance.
0: Oh dear. And did the tar-like substance taste nice?
2: I don't think I remember. I think I was so cross that I I couldn't taste anything probably knowing me. I was probably only about 10. So so yes, yeah, you have to get the balance right. And also the thing is, if you take the sugar down, it's not going to preserve it. So it's really just becomes a coolie.
1: And there's Green Onion signalling the start of our job section. So, Brew Project in Ely has a vacancy for a barista. Two baristas are urgently needed at the Curb Collective at the Museum of Technology in Riverside. The Cambridge Oven in Hills Road is looking for a full or part-time barista. And Maison Clement in Hills Road has a vacancy for a front-of-house stroke barista. And Bald Brothers in Round Church Street and Regent Street have three vacancies for front-of-house garden kitchen in Kettle's Yard needs a barista or a cafe assistant to work Wednesday to Sunday with one Sunday and one Saturday off per month. The hours for that are 9.30 to 5pm with occasional evenings.
4: Parker's Tavern in Regent Street has vacancies for three chefs de partie. Full-time permanent positions are available. Chefs de partie are also needed at Amelie in the Grafton Centre, Pembroke College, Ivy Brasserie in Trinity Street, Senate Bristrow in St Mary's Passage, and at the Orator 9A Bridge Street behind the Round Church. And there's a vacancy at Midsummer House, where you'll be working four days a week. Send your CV to kitchen at midsummerhouse.co.uk.
1: Now there's three vacancies for commie chefs at Parker's Tavern and one vacancy at Senate Bistro. Junior sous-chefs are needed at Parker's Tavern also at, uh, well, also at Bill's in Green Street and the Granter Pub in Newnham Road. A sous-chef is required at the Ivy Brasserie and at Cram's Cuisine as well. And finally, a chef is needed at Bill's on Green Street. And that takes us to the end of our programme for today. Don't forget that we are here on Alternate Saturdays at 12 noon, repeated on Mondays at 6pm and Thursdays at 2pm. And we will also be available, of course, via podcast early next week.
4: Coming up on Cambridge 105 Radio today at 1pm is the Gadget Guide. But that's all from us. We'll be back on the 30th of July with lots more food and drink news, jobs and features. So until then, Goodbye. goodbye.